This is the Mosaic Church Podcast. Mosaic Church is committed to making disciples that discover Christ, connect in Christian community, and serve others and the world. Hey, Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. It's a very famous scripture. All of you should know it, but let me read it. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And today's uh, message focus is this last line. And lead us not into, tent, into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And so as we continue in the Lord's Prayer uh, Sunday service, uh, sermon series, I'd like for us to really challenge, like, Lord, are you, I pray that our prayer has changed. I know that mine has, has changed in the sense, like, I constantly remind myself that this pattern that Jesus tells his disciples in us is important, because it is easy for us to go right to uh, ask for the bread, if you know what I mean, because we always have a laundry list of things that we need and that we think that we need. But it's always healthy for us to go and follow this pattern of just honoring and, and giving praise to God and recognizing who he is. And to uh, pray that his will be done uh, here on earth as it is in heaven. And so we don't have to, we don't have to wait to live kingdom-minded until we get to he- uh, heaven. We can do that here and now. And give us this day our daily bread. And again, at the end of the day, our daily bread is Jesus Our daily bread is Jesus. I don't know if you ever try to lose weight. I have multiple times, and I'm I'm very good at failing at losing weight, and so I got to spin it somehow. Uh, So, but I do recognize that one time after we did a Daniel fast, which is basically you just get get rid of all all carbs and all sugars, and and I noticed that the day I I took a bite of bread, what my body felt like it was really good, you know. Um, it really was weird because I did actually feel like this sense of wow, and I knew that what was kicking, and then I began to study what's actually happening in my body. It's not really the bread, but the bread breaks down into sugars, basically. And so, and then why do I want that? And so, at the end of the day, I, I, I began to peel back the onion of why I was feeling the way I was feeling after uh, going on a fast and then eating some bread. And, and again, it reminds me of that. Again, we need to maybe peel back the layers of what we're praying for. Like, why are we praying for that? You know, we sing a song and we say the statement and that Jesus is our all in all, but the question is, is, is he really? And so that's why until we peel back the layers, uh, and I believe the Lord's Prayer is challenging us to peel back the layers. And to the debt issue. Two weeks ago, we talked about the, uh, the story of the prodigal son, which was really challenged and and changed me and how God views us and, and how he loves us. And, and it just goes really well with the song that we sang earlier. And how he, he rejoices when we come to him. You know, and we, he forgives. And, and not only does he run, which is so unusual in that culture. Men do not run, especially after their children. Uh, it's, it's beneath them. And in the story of the prodigal son, the father runs to the son. But he also runs so that his son isn't shamed by the community. I thought that was pretty powerful that Jesus would do that. Uh, He's not into shaming us. Uh, He is into loving us 
and revealing our shortcomings and our sins that we might make them right, but he's not into uh, shaming us. And sometimes that's hard for the church, isn't it? That maybe someone who's fallen to sin or has done something wrong, that it's so easy to begin to whisper about them. And, and I pray that would never happen in our church, that if you saw someone who's been far from God and, and came back to church, my best uh, advice for you is just grab them by the arm and, and sit with them and, and, and shield and shield and be their friend. And that's what Jesus does. And now we're into lead us into temptation. Now, uh, unbeknownst to me, this is a very controversial line. You know, I just thought I knew what it meant. But the, the more you study about this line, uh, lead us not into temptation, uh, man, you can uh, dig a lot and get all different types of opinions. And so my challenge for us today is to just really dig in, even don't just take my words for it, but dig in the scriptures and study for yourself. But there's a couple of questions we need to ponder this morning. What did Jesus actually mean in this part of the Lord's prayer? And the second thing is that how can we begin to implement it in our lives? You have to remember, and we've been doing this in the Lord's Prayer, that Jesus is talking to a specific audience at the time. So when you read scriptures, you always have to ask yourself, what's the context? Who's, who's the listener? Uh, who, who's Jesus trying to speak to? And he, of course, was always speaking to 21st century Christians, but he was also talking to the first century Christians, the people that were there on site. And we know that Jesus was talking to, to uh, children, uh, Hebrew children, and they were uh, Jewish people, and they had a history. And so when it says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, there's a context that's going on in the background. Jesus is talking to Jewish people who have, for us, uh, centuries, have been longing for the redemption or for this burst of light to come on to the scene because they've been under a tremendous amount of, of, of tribulations and trials. It was a dark period in, in the Jewish history at that time. And Jesus is saying these things to them. He says, and deliver us, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You know, when we celebrate Christmas, which is only a few weeks away, can you imagine that? Uh, I tell you, it feels good to have uh, Christmas with adult children, you feel no pressure now. You know? <laughs> For those grandkids, I feel the pressure there. Well, I don't, my, my wife does. When we, when we celebrate Christmas, we can see God's plan, and part of that was pain and trials was going to overcome evil. Pain, trials, is going to triumph over evil. And we see that in the Christmas story. And But part of Jesus' life, his whole mission, it seems like he was being tested and he was in trials and his whole entire public life. And even when he began his ministry, what was the first thing that happened in the ministry when Jesus began his ministry? He was tempted. He was taken out into the desert and test, tested by the devil himself. And then we go up to the Garden of Gethsemane, if you guys know the story, which I think is a powerful uh, image of a, a true, the true meaning of prayer. Jesus is really challenging his listeners and, and us as well. And lead us not in, into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
Jesus will say throughout scriptures uh, in the New Testament, watch and pray that you may not fall into temptation. Now, some of you might be shocked over this. But maybe some of you won't. But Jesus wasn't necessarily talking about your little individual sin, the one that you might be dealing with at the moment. You know, he was talking in a lot of ways about the, the bigger issue that was happening in Israel at the time. Now, when I say temptation, and your scripture might say temptation, I'm really thinking testing and tribulation. And so we, we find ourselves, if you remember the story, that Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And there's a great tribulation going on in his life. That he was face to face. He, he had a dilemma right in front of him. And, may, and many of us have experienced that dilemma. Should we let God's will be done or should we do our own will? Jesus had to fulfill, or chose to fulfill the will of the Father. And what did that mean? He, that meant by taking on evil himself, of the evil of the world, being separated by the Father, and then end up on a cross. That was one option. Or the other option was to find an exit door. Take another route. And Jesus knew that this was going to happen to him. But Jesus was not going to deliver Jesus from evil. In a sense, I, I like to put it this way, that Jesus is saying to disciples, the Father is not going to deliver me from evil, but I pray that you may be delivered from evil through Jesus. See, the act of the cross is unique to Jesus. Where he went, we couldn't go. We, couldn't, we, did, we didn't meet the criteria. So the rest of us are commanded to pray that we might be delivered from the power of evil. And we can pray with confidence because Jesus has not only met that power, he has defeated that power once and for all. Amen? So what is the right approach of understanding evil? Well, there's three wrong ways to approach evil, and I want to share them with you. Let's see if this works. Yes. There's one way to approach evil that Jesus talks about, give us this, uh, forgive us our debts, and then he goes on, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one or from evil. There are three ways we can at attempt to understand and approach evil. And there's some ways to learn, and one way to learn is what not to do. And this is a what not to do approach. It seems, it, to me, this is maybe something that we as a middle America, middle class Americans fall prey to, this one. It means that to pretend that evil doesn't really exist. It doesn't really exist. And, what, and we do everything we can to uh, avoid those circumstances that would remind us that evil does exist. So we stick our heads in the sand. We know that it's out there, but we don't want to deal with it. We think that evil only exists over there in Syria and in Iraq and Afghanistan and Turkey. And if you've been watching the news, even in our own hemisphere right now in, in Ecuador, there's upheaval. That's over there. And so a wrong way of thinking about evil is that the Sadducees in the Bible were people like that. 
They were kind, to, kind of just uh, numb to, to what was really going on. The Sadducees wanted to live in comfort. They wanted to uh, live in luxury. And so they put their heads in the sand because if they didn't see evil, it didn't exist. And this is a challenge for us, the middle class. For those of us who live in 32312 zip code, and that means me, okay, I'm a 32312 zip code. You know, it's really weird. Um, uh, we have some neighbors here, but on, on Monroe Street, it just definitely feels like it's, it's changing. You know, all of a sudden, a new store popped up right there on Lakeshore in Monroe, and, and uh, that, that, um, that hotel right there on the corner of Lakeshore and, and Monroe, and, and you kind of see uh, maybe uh, sinful behavior happening right in front of us. And so uh, my, my inclination is that I, I need to move to the far northeast side of town, Right? or the far southwest part of town, but not too far. But the Sadducees were like that, so they kind of uh, boarded them up in, in a nice neighborhood, gated community, everybody's nice. It reminds me of Peachtree City, Georgia. Have you ever been there? It is nice. I tell everybody Peachtree City is like um, Bannerman Crossing, but for the whole city. Everybody's just the same color, same financial situation, same everything. It's just, it's just awesome. They're riding golf carts over there. The policemen don't carry guns. I'm just kidding. I don't know if they do. I didn't see any hardly. The Sadducees were like that. They wanted to live undisturbed lifestyles. They did everything to avoid all types of evil, especially against the Roman Empire, so they could maintain their comfortable lifestyle even if that meant to compromise their theological beliefs. A second way is to fear evil because you see it all over the place. I can imagine our friend Rhea, who in her new job that she has been uh, made aware of greater uh, wrongs and evils that are happening in our community. She works at a 911 call center. I can't imagine what it would be like uh, every day in her job. But there are other ways to fear evil because you realize it's all over the place. You see it everywhere. And you think it's overwhelming and, and it can overpower you. And so uh, your natural inclination is to not fight but to flight. In the scriptures, we have the Essenes. If you follow the Essenes, they were uh, the People that were like John the Baptist, who kind of uh, isolated themselves. Uh, but they did a lot of good things. Part of the uh, Dead Sea Scrolls were from the, the Essenes. But the Amish, they, they do that. They separate themselves. Uh, according to Josephus, a church historian, it says that the Essenes rejected pleasures and passion as a form of all evil. They avoided it so much that anything good was bad. Now, some of you were raised uh, in in strong uh, Pentecostal churches, and you know what I mean? You couldn't even play cards, right? You couldn't go to the movies. Um, <laughs> even though I was not raised that way, I was kind of was. And when I was invited to the grandparents' dance, I felt conviction. I was dancing, <laughs> you know, like, this, this feels wrong, but it wasn't. But uh, I was kind of raised that way. And so, um, anyway, the Essenes, they, they separated themselves they lived in their own gated community. They try to keep evil out. 
The first one was the gated community where they didn't want to deal with the evil. And then there's the third. The third is the self-righteous approach. Now, one of my favorite authors, um, Paul David Tripp, writes, human self-righteousness denies the need for the saving, enabling grace of Christ. Human righteousness embraces the cruelest of Satan's lies, that a person can be righteous by keeping the law. If that were true, there would have been no need for the birth, life, and death, and resurrection of Jesus. The self-righteous one. I've shared this story a few times. Um, But the self-righteous person thinks that uh, evil is out there. It's on the south side of the tracks. It's over there, our neighbors. It's on Monroe Street. That's what we think. The self-righteous one uh, doesn't think, it only thinks that evil is out there. One of my favorite stories, and I've shared it at our church from time to time, but uh, there was a homiletics class, and homiletics class is the how to preach class. As you could tell, I got an A plus in that. But the story goes, I believe it was Smith Wigglesworth, and I can't remember the actual, but the story is a story, all right? It starts off with this young, self-righteous student preached his message to the class on putting on the whole armor of God. And he actually brought in an armor into the classroom. And little by little, as he was putting on the armor of God, the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation, he finally finishes his sermon and he finds himself at the end holding the sword, the word. And he makes this statement, where is the enemy now as he swings his sword around and the professor comes up to the guy who's inside the armor and he goes, he's inside the armor. It's so easy to think that it's over there, it's them, it's those people. The Pharisees were like this. The Pharisees that their evil is out there. The Pharisees thought they were the righteous ones, the holy ones, the ones who were called to battle evil. They formed for themselves zealous groups fighting literally all types of evils. The Apostle Paul is a perfect example of a zealous Pharisee who combated evil against the evil early church, the people of the way, the followers of Christ. Some of you are too young, but some of you might be my age and remember that one time our president actually called another country the evil empire. And I used to think that, those, those, oh, those Russians, you know? I mean, we just want to even beat them in, in hockey. I mean, it didn't matter what it was. I mean, that's the team to beat. Years later, we had another president call uh, a group of country as the uh, axis of evil. It's them. It's those people. And they did hor- horrendous things. I mean, we're not excusing any of those countries what they've done. But the Pharisees also always thought that evil was out there. I'm going to give you some statistics that might surprise you. Maybe not. Do you know 
which country is the number one country in the world. We're number one. I already gave it away. In pornographic viewing. U.S. of A, number one. Now, it could be that we have the best access to the Internet. I don't know what the, the behind season, uh, reason is. But the United States leads number one in pornographic viewing. Now, here's the most amazing thing. If you divide the country up by regions, who do you think is number one? Those godless Northwestern Oregonians, Washingtonians, North, uh, not Northern California, but Central South Californians. <laughs> How about those, those liberal uh, Northeasterners, those New Englanders? If you've ever been there, you can see like maybe you know, some of their ads like, whoa. As you can probably tell, I'm, I'm leading up to what you are figuring out the answers. It is the Bible Belt, the South of all the regions in the United States, number one viewing of pornography is in the South. Now, if we break that down even more so, which people group are the number one viewers of pornographic material? College students. I mean, we could break them down, but somebody actually did break it down, and they found that the typical Protestant evangelical person is the number one viewer in the southeast to engage in uh, viewing pornographic material. So the Pharisee thought that sin was out there. The Essenes was, is out there, so they're going to isolate themselves. The Sadducees wanted to ignore it, avoid it, act like it doesn't even exist. But Jesus is dealing with it head on with his listeners and us this morning. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So how do we deal with it? We don't ignore it. We don't put our heads in the sand. We don't isolate ourselves like the Amish. We don't put on suits of armor thinking that it's out there. And Jesus deals with it correctly. Jesus' approach to evil was to recognize it, recognize the reality and the power of evil, and to confront it with the reality and the power of his kingdom announcement. So the result of Gethsemane, when he's praying, your will be done, if God, you're, if you could take this cup away from me, but, but no, I'll, I'll follow your plan, your will. Jesus' approach to evil was victorious. He recognized it for what it is. Jesus did not omit this line. In the, can you, you know, like, why is that line in the Bible when he's teaching about prayer? You know, he didn't take it out as though he was an Essene where it doesn't exist. He didn't just talk about evil as though it was... It's so overwhelming, and it's everything like, like the Essenes. He didn't fear it, but he recognized that even his own disciples had to deal with something like this. So the Lord's Prayer is perfect in dealing with evil. 
But he wanted one thing, I think, more than anything, is to recognize that for us as his followers, but as disciples, to recognize that there is something stronger than evil, and that is Jesus Christ and his victory over it. I think a few things that we need to do as followers, we need to recognize that evil is real and powerful. It's not only out there. You know, I find that when, um, and Dr. Heidi's not here today, but one of the things I remember hearing her story is that there are sometimes t- uh, students, she's a professor at Florida State, sometimes students uh, fail the class. And they go up to her like, why did you fail me? And she's like, I didn't fail you. You failed you. You didn't, you didn't live up to the standard. You know, I, she just sets the standard. This is how you get there. And if you don't do that, you fail yourself. And so one of the things that we have to recognize that it's not just out there. It's not just out there. It's in, in, it's in all of us. That's why I'm so grateful for Jesus, because I was recognized uh, by God's grace, and I was, I was drowning in my own and wallowing in my own selfish, sinful life. So we need to recognize that it's real and it's powerful. It's not only out there, it's not only in other people, but it's present in our own lives. And especially when we give authority to forces of destruction in our lives. And when we worship other things besides God, we're inviting these forces to, to gain power over our lives. The second thing is, it's one of my favorite pictures, That Jesus' victory over evil is also real and incredibly powerful. It's not only out there. It's not only for other people. It's not just something that happened 2,000 years ago. But it's available for all of us. Evil no longer has the ultimate authority over our lives. Jesus has captured that power and has set us free from the condemnation of evil. And the reason I, I posted that picture is that I'm not sure where I got the line, but I, I took it, and now I'm sharing with you. When we pray the prayer and we accept Christ, it's like it's inhaling the victory of the cross. We were drowning, and all of a sudden we come up and we take our first big gasp of air That's what the victory of Jesus is like. Inhaling the victory of the cross. Taking a big, deep breath of the victory of the cross. So what does it mean? Now, when Jesus says, lead us, who's the us? That's the question we need to ask first. Well, he knows who his listeners are. The us are the Hebrew children, the nation of Israel. And the Israelites were praying that that one day that foot will come off their neck. But I believe it's challenging us for us to pray. Us, meaning our own community, our own families, our own city, 
the city of Tallahassee, not just, not just 32304 or whatever zip codes are down south, not just that one, but 32312, 32310, the all different sides of our city, all are in need of Jesus. God has called us to live here. For some reason, you found yourself in Tallahassee. And I believe God is calling us to pray for our city. And Paul, uh, as we find later on that Paul tells us to, to pray for those who are governing authorities. Pray for them as well. As you could see in the news, some of our governing authorities need a lot of prayer. Amen? <laughs> but we need prayer too. Pray that we won't and they won't fall into temptation, but they'll be delivered from the evil one. We need to pray for deliverance of our, our city. Those who are hurting. And that's why we are in partnership with different organizations that can help us. You know, we're not a big church, so we partner with other ministries like Convoy of Hope and Feed One and, and help people who are in desperate need because we have to stand for justice, especially for the poor and the weak. The us is the body of Christ. One of the things that we need to f admit to, again, we don't want to be like the, the Pharisees, you know, it's them. We need to admit in our own lives, in our own hearts, I think one of the biggest challenges is, is the disunity of the body and and I would say the apathy of the body of Christ. Apathy and disunity is not a representation of the triune God who worked in unison for a purpose. So when we pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil disunity and apathy we find in the Western church, the American church. At Mosaic Church, we pray, and I pray that all of us would say, Amen to this, that we seek to do the, the Lord's will corporately. Remember a few weeks ago, we showed that picture of the three-legged race, but it was like 30 kids. If that one kid is not doing the three-legged race correctly, it affects us all. So you is me, they is us, I am you. So this, we are in this together. We seek to do the will of the Father through discipleship and, and, uh, and small groups and corporately and Sunday mornings and, and not only that, reaching those around us for the gospel. And evil is out there to, to uh, distract us from our task. Our vision and our church is to glorify God, have a caring community of followers to establish a caring community within our church that affects our city, our families. I'm praying, Lord, help me. How can I affect North Monroe and, and Lakeshore Drive? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one.
We need to seek God and then love others. Love others. We need to seek God in our worship. We need to seek God in bearing fruit of the Spirit in our lifestyles, in relationships. We need to seek God by reading and and living out his word, to know the word, by being transformational in our lifestyle and our discipleship, through prayer, through fellowship. We got to be compassionate people. They is us. Blessed are the merciful. I've said this a zillion times. Merciful is try to put yourself in other person's shoe. So when someone has a perspective different than yours, you would try to put yourself in their shoes and say, I can see why they would do that if I lived their life. To recognize their value and that God has made them in the image of God, in his image. We uh, seek the Lord, and, and by sharing our faith, we serve one another, reach out in the love of Christ. Sharing our resources, reaching out to widows, orphans, and the poor. Do you remember what the, the first group, the Sadducees, they didn't want any peripheral vision of, of evil or death. But let's take those old folks and Put them somewhere where we don't see them. Let's take our sick folk, put them somewhere else where we don't want to see them. One of the coolest things, I, I think it was Iowa, uh, University of Iowa, they have a children's hospital built into their football stadium. I mean, you can't get any better than that. And those kids, children's hospital, get to see a football game, and you can see pictures of them in their, in their wheelchairs or their hospital bed watching in the stadium. But I think that's even more powerful. It just reminds us that we live in a world that's broken. And those students and, and fans can look up and say, hey, oh, yes, they're not out of our peripheral vision. They're in our lives. Maybe we can do something about it. I, I just think it's fantastic. We, can, we don't have to fear evil. We just know that Jesus is victorious over evil, and we need to live our lives According to his plan, there's no fear in, in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. The Bible says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. Who's our brother? You guys know this. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Moments through here. The Lord's Prayer, one of my favorite authors, N.T. Wright, says, Seen with Christian hindsight, more specifically with a Trinitarian perspective, the Lord's Prayer becomes an invitation to share in the divine life itself. It becomes one of the high roads into the central mystery of Christian salvation and Christian existence. That the baptized and the believing Christians 
Number one, incorporated into the inner life of the triune God. Two, intended not just to believe that there is the case, but actually experience the divine life in Christ, the Lord's Prayer. Let's finish our time if we can. Let's go ahead and stand, and we're going to say the, the Lord's Prayer together. It's on the screen there. This is how you should pray. Let's say it together. Our Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts. Also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you for this day. Lord, I pray, God, that you would help us to to live this out. Not just know about it, but live it out. Thank you, Father, for your setting not only your words, but your life. Your life is the Lord's prayer. We say thank you. And as I already said it, where we don't have to fear evil because of you. Lord, help us to be that agent of grace. Lord, help us to recognize that we need you, that we don't want to fall into the category of self-righteous person. Where we all recognize, I recognize my shortcomings. That I need you every day. Lord, I pray, God, that you would help us to live this life out that you've called us to live. Thank you for empowering us through your Holy Spirit to do so. Lord, be with us as we go our separate ways. I pray, God, that we would always be mindful of who you are and who we are and how we can live this out. Be with the Mortons as they travel. Lord, bless them on their uh, anniversary trip. And, Lord, I pray uh, a wonderful time. For them. Thank you for our church family that's our sick. Lord, be with them and help them. We love you, Father. We pray right now specifically for Ecuador. Uh, Quito is under siege now. Um, Lord, it's not good. So we just pray for grace. Lord, I pray that the church could rise up in this circumstance. We love you, Father, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. May the Lord be with you. He is risen. God bless you. We are dismissed. We want to thank you for listening. We pray that you were blessed and encouraged. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to this podcast and listen whenever you like. To find out more about Mosaic Church, please visit www.mosaicchurchtlh.com.